0: few weeks ago, we uncovered the first of the three ugliest, most unfortunate events in the church. And I started with, uh, number one was hypocrisy, the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, values, virtues, whatever, that we don't really have. Pretending to be something you're not or to possess something that you don't have. Um, It's kind of like the Hans Christian Andersen parable of 1837, entitled The Emperor Has No Clothes. It's that old practice of pretending to believe something because no one would want to be honest and admit that they had anything lacking in their lives. Now people, and, 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 and I'm going to say it this way, supposedly people in the faith seem to do this all the time. They pretend that the nakedness is not there, and they do so to their own destruction. That, my friends, is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is a stepping stone on the path to other downward trends, the third of which I'm going to touch on today in this series of unfortunate events, and it is it is something that we don't often hear. First, we talked about hypocrisy. Second, and I won't go back through that one, we we talk about uh, backbiting. And today, thirdly, uh, I'm entitling it Mediocre at Best. Let's just pause and pray and ask God's blessing on the Word today. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are not left without witness but that we have your Word today. And we have warnings and we have uh, admonitions that sometimes they're easy to overlook or maybe just ignore altogether. Today, we want to look deeply into these words and we want to know the message that you have for each of us and for all of us as a church body, the body of Christ. Uh, Holy Spirit, hover over this place in a, in a special way, in a divine way. Touch every heart, And Lord, may we come out of a message like this today, a message straight from Your Word, uh, as stronger and more dedicated and more devoted to Your purposes. And we'll thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. In case you thought I forgot you, uh, I am going to, uh, and it goes along with today's theme, I'm going to bring you a heartfelt, better uh, better late than never, a belated <clears throat> Happy Valentines to all. And we put it this way. To all those who are taken, almost taken, taken for granted, waiting to be taken, assumed to be taken, are those who aren't taken seriously at all. Thank you. Does Chick-fil-A ring a bell? hmm, that's a bad thing to mention this this near lunchtime, isn't it? Chick-fil-A. S. Truett Cathy was the founder of Chick-fil-A back in the 1940s. He was a godly man who never accepted mediocrity, not in his life, not in the life of others, not in the work environment, not in his business. And you know that since 1948... That company has lost millions of dollars, not really lost, they don't consider. Actually, they say it's slightly over a billion a year now, all because of one decision they made back in 1948. You know what that decision was? The restaurants are not open on Sunday. Truett Cathy did a lot of great things. He cared for children by developing foster home systems called the Windshape Homes, his favorite truism is, and I quote, It's easier to build boys and girls than to mend men and women. This is a man who was a man of purpose, and his purpose, number one, was to serve as God. Woody Falk, F-A-U-L-K, an orphan who was rescued by Mr. Cathy, uh, put, uh, put, uh, was put to work by uh, Truett Cathy, that man is now a vice president uh, of this huge firm. And he says everyone that knew Mr. Cathy knew him uh, by the Bible verse James one twenty two, which says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, there is a danger that we face as faithful believers. It's the sin of complacency or the sin of mediocrity. We begin to merely listen to the word and not do what it says. Oh yeah, we do church, but I think sometimes more out of habit than anything else or just a sense of of needing to be there. We know not why. We 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 lose our passion and we lose our hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We lose that drive to be more than ever, uh, be more than anything we ever have been before, and to be closer to God and more in touch with God and more usable to God uh, than ever before. After spending some time consulting Merriam-Webster. I personally came out with some very interesting facts about the adjective mediocre, uh, and the noun mediocrity. So let's just take a look at it. I've provided a little visual for you. Mediocrity, let's look at the word. It comes from the Latin, two words, the Latin word medius, meaning middle, and the Latin word Choris or choris meaning rugged mountain. So literally translated, it means to settle halfway to the summit of a difficult mountain. It's a compromise of abilities and potential. It is a negotiation between the drive to excel and the biological urge to settle for the most comfortable option. You see, mediocrity says it's acceptable, but not a one. It's better, but not best. It's exceptional, but not excellent. It's fine, but not fabulous. It's good, but not great. It's higher, but not highest. And it's okay but it's not outstanding. Now let's apply some of this to the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation and then in turn to the church today right where we live and right here in the 21st century. In Revelation chapter 3, this church was cited for violating the Lord by living a mediocre lifestyle. Never has the Lord Jesus intended for you and for me as believers to live a mediocre Christian lifestyle. Matter of fact, mediocre Christian lifestyle is really a conundrum. I mean, that really is a paradox in and of itself. They pretended, these people, that everything was all good they thought they were successful, they thought they were rich, they thought they were lacking nothing, and I'm sure they perceived their success as God's blessing upon them, whatever. But Jesus had some news for them that although successful by outward appearances, they were critically wounded, spiritually disabled as a church, and the underlying problem it was mediocrity. Oh yes, the terribly unfortunate event called mediocrity. It's the state of being moderate to inferior in quality, or more simply put, simply, ordinary. And let me just remind you, Jesus didn't make us to be ordinary people. Jesus didn't intend us to live an ordinary life. We we are extraordinary in every single way through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book, and you say, well, I, I don't feel extraordinary at all. I don't feel I'm more than ordinary. Well, don't put that on Jesus. Well, I don't feel very close to God. Guess who moved? You see, in the book of Revelation, the Bible calls mediocrity lukewarmness. If you look at that third chapter and go down to verse 15, you'll see these words. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. In other words, I wish you would be passionate about something. Fight with me or against me, but don't just stand there. The Laodicean church was a lot like many mediocre churches in the world today. Very sad to say. They conducted ministry in that city or town, whatever. They seemed to be successful. They had plenty of people coming, probably showing up every time they met. But the problem was most of them only saw the church as a place to be entertained and fed. Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Feed me again, feed me again, feed me again. They thought it was the see in bed and breakfast for the spiritually rich. All the most influential people came to this church. They probably came in their gilded chariots. The worship was contemporary, I suppose, for that century they lived in, and their nursery facilities were probably beautiful beyond compare. Oh, you never had to worry about the preacher He wouldn't offend anyone with this sermon, and the members felt that they had a church that they could be proud of, and they were very much so. They thought everyone could see how rich they were. They were increased with goods, and they needed nothing, okay? Only the incompetent and stupid or the jealous and resentful people could see it otherwise. But Jesus said this in verse 17. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Well, thank you, Jesus, for those wonderful words of encouragement and commendation. Could you repeat that? Absolutely. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Hmm. I want to tell you, this was a stern, stern warning. For these people and for that church. And it serves as a stern warning to us in the 21st century church that God is tired of tired Christians. Jesus was giving the Laodicean church a warning because he loved them and he gave them an opportunity to repent as he always does, thank God. Thank God for his love that goes way beyond anything else. Thank God for his kindness. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his forgiveness. Amen? Mm. Yes, he warned them. Yes, he rebuked them. But he gave them an opportunity to repent. Now, he's speaking the same messages to churches all over the world, even today. He wants us to be vigilant, and he wants us to be involved in his work. Today, if you came into this church or into this building with a mediocre Christian lifestyle, here's what God is hoping, that you will leave it, all of that mediocrity, all of that complacency, all of that take it or leave it, doesn't really matter attitude, and just drop it at the cross and pick up a passion for the purpose of God in your life from this day forward until that wonderful day when you actually are in his presence. The very clear message that Jesus sends to his people today is that he is fed up with and will not tolerate mediocrity in the body of Christ. Period, period, period. Amen. In the 16th verse of Revelation 3, we read these words of Jesus. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Friends, it, it, he's saying if you live a mediocre existence, your soul is in imminent danger. Danger. Jesus relates mediocrity, I I have to say it, to lukewarm phlegm in, in his mouth. Now, phlegm, I don't need to go into all the details, is a pretty disgusting thing to have in your mouth or your throat. It's usually a result or a sign of an illness. And you know mediocre people are sick people spiritually. Everyone who lives a mediocre, lackluster, moderate to inferior Christian life is in danger of being rejected by God and ejected from his his mouth like an unpleasant substance. From this letter we deduce that churches without a passion to serve are in imminent danger. That's why I said this letter is a very stern and serious warning. Let me give you an imminent danger illustration. <clears throat> Chernobyl, Ukraine, nineteen eighty six. Does that ring a bell? For some of you newsworthy people, it would be it would bring back. A memory for sure. Do you know after the disaster workers had to put lead suits on and scoop the debris into a large hole over the exploded core? Now, do you, do you know that each and did you did you even research it? You probably didn't, so that's why I'm explaining it. Each man could work only three minutes at a time because three minutes was a lifetime dose of radiation the man who had to explore the debris near the core, oh, that lucky guy, to find out if the core had been breached, while he was down there in the core, something dripped onto his head. And he was terrified for his life. You see, if it was liquid from the core, he was a dead man. His bones would literally rot from inside him. Anyone about to be to be near that stuff was in imminent danger. Well, if this if this was radioactive, he was gone. But after a radiation test, he was relieved to discover that what had drifted on him was only water. But he was walking through nuclear waste. And need I tell you, his life was in imminent danger. Being a lukewarm Christian is like walking around Chernobyl, hoping you didn't run into radioactive waste. That's a dangerous place to be. And the longer a person stays there, the more deadly the effect of being mediocre. Anyone about to be spit out of the mouth of God, like refuse, refuse, is is in imminent danger. The unfortunate news here about most of these people is they have no idea what condition they're really in, and that's so sad. So Revelation 3.17 goes on. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, what's so sad today is that many people don't know their true spiritual condition. They don't know where they stand with God. They don't know the God thing. They don't understand the grace of Almighty God. They don't understand their beginning, their ending. They don't understand time and eternity. They don't understand where they are. And there are a lot of people walking around with cancerous time bombs, counting down destruction in their bodies, and they have no idea what condition they're in. And there are a lot of Christians living mediocre lifestyles with no idea what condition their souls are really in. And a lot of churches are like the one in Laodicea. I hate to have to say that, but I know it to be true, and so do you. Those churches appear healthy and successful from the outside, but they're suffering from spiritual disease on the inside because all the parts of the body are not working as they ought to. So don't make it a handicapped church by failing to function. Let's not do that. Don't refuse to serve just because the conditions aren't perfect. Don't assume that someone else should or could be doing that, or maybe even doing it better. Don't be so thin-skinned that you spend your time blaming your lack of service on someone else. I've heard all of those things. And quit obsessing over your past and start living for a glorious future. In other words, I believe that Jesus is saying in this letter, church, wake up, stand up, speak up, move up, and let's get rid of mediocrity. I'm convinced that Jesus wants faith community to be successful. I believe you think that way too. Otherwise, what are we doing here? I believe that he wants this family of Jesus followers to be full of healthy worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe he wants us to be vital and healthy. I think he wants us to be growing beyond our means. And he tends to do some great things in this place through us, thank God. But he cannot work through you and me if we're sitting on our hands. He cannot work through a people who lack passion. And I'm talking, of course, you know, you've already figured it out. I'm talking about every other church, except ours, right? Because we're all perfect and without defect, right? Kind of like the emperor with that brand new suit of no clothes. Jesus wants Faith Community Fellowship to be a healthy body of believers being continually transformed into the image of Christ and continually transformed and continually transformed and continually transformed. Not only does he warn us, but he also gives us the tools to overcome this mediocrity or the problem that the church was facing. Because if you go to verses 18 and 19, we're still in Revelation 3. Here's what he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. (laughs) Thought they already were rich, huh? And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Here's what I love. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You know I haven't brought you. You know I have not brought you this far in this message, looking at this letter of our precious Lord to drop you now and say, have a nice life. Oh, no. We need to look at the cure for mediocrity. And if you're living a mediocre Christian life and you know you are and you're not where you know you should be with God, here's the cure for mediocrity. Number one, first, get involved with God. Get involved. May everything be a God thing. You see, he's always moving. So just jump in and be used of him. In order to be rich, God's people need to purchase his refined gold. That's what he said. And he's saying to them, you're poor. Buy his gold. You say, how do we do that? Do we offer some extra cash in exchange for some of the good gold? No, no, no. We're not talking about the same currency because he doesn't use the same currency we use. What can we give to God then in exchange for the, for the good gold that he has. We can give him our will. We can give him our obedience. We can love God beyond measure. We can obey him. You see, to love him is to obey him, and to obey him is to show love for him. You say, how does one store up treasure in heaven that Jesus is talking about? With good works, clean hands, pure hearts, selfless devotion, To see his kingdom grow on earth. Now we slip over to a letter by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. And I'm reading verses 18 and 19. And again, he's telling Timothy how to instruct the Christians in the church there. That he is, and churches that he has influence in. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of, can you read those next six words with me? The life that is truly life. Can you say those again with me? The life that is truly life. I got to tell you, I, I, I said earlier. I, I I get. I mean, I know I've read this verse. I, I don't know how many dozen times, but just a, a little while back, I read it and slammed the brakes on. I said I need to camp here for a little while. Do you hear those words, folks? We set ourselves a foundation so we can take hold of the life. That is truly life. (laughs) A lot of people are living life, but it's not truly life. A lot of people are just kind of existing in a shell, but it's not really life. It's not truly life. This is Paul speaking here. So they can take hold of the life that is truly life. Life. I wonder, friend, would God look at you and define you as a person who is always rich in good deeds, always generous, and always willing to share? Look for God's movement in your life. Ask for God's opportunities in your life. And then take those, and with his help, use those to serve him in wherever he puts you. Then you'll begin to see your place. You'll see his plan. You'll begin to see him at work in and through you. He will restore a new motivation that you've been lacking, and it'll come into your heart and into your life and into your spirit, and it will, it, it, it will permeate every part of you all to his praise and to his glory, and you'll never doubt that this, indeed, is a true God thing because you have taken hold of the life that is truly life. So the first thing to cure mediocrity, I don't really want to leave this first point because it's so important, it's so fundamental, it's so elementary, and it's so needed, and I think there may be people I think God is saying to me, preacher, there are people here or are going to be hearing this that need to really, really hear it and then do it. Get involved with God. The second thing in the cure for mediocrity is clothe yourself in righteousness. Sin drags us down. Do I need to tell you that? It kills our motivation. It separates us from God. And it makes us lukewarm in our walk with God. So then it brings on problems. Problems. And I could easily ask, and you could easily answer, is there anyone here, under the sound of my voice, that's ever had a problem? You ever had a problem? No? Well, let me give you some advice. The minute you realize you have a problem, you need to go to the throne, not the phone. oh yeah, there's a problem, oh, get right on the phone, Get where's my phone? That's the time that thing should be put away somewhere because you need time at the throne of grace. When the problem hits, you need the throne more than you need the phone. In the cure for mediocrity, the third thing, and you we're singing about it a little bit ago and I just loved hearing your worship. See with the eyes of faith. Ask the Lord to heal your heart. He'll do it. Ask the Lord to give you spiritual eyesight. He'll do it. And you get spiritual eyesight so you can see him at work all around you. Everything. You can see him everywhere. So you can walk in faith and you can see according to his sight, his plan, his vision. Quit being kind of discouraged by what you see. And it is discouraging at times, but quit being discouraged by what you see with your physical eyesight because that, probably faster than anything, will kill your motivation. But see... See with the eyes of faith. How do we cure mediocrity? We get involved with God. We clothe ourselves in righteousness. We see with the eyes of faith. And lastly, we remember that God disciplines us because He loves us. Oh, oh my. So the 19th verse of Revelation 3, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Yes, repent. Listen, listen, brother or sister. Repent and then rebuild. Repent and then remove that mediocrity. Repent and then keep moving on for him. Anybody know Granny Smith? Anybody know Granny Smith? Well, I brought her with me today for those of you that don't know her. This is an... It's an apple. This is an apple. But it's a body designed to feed, designed to Nourish, designed to be broken, and maybe even designed to be distributed. But let me tell you if it sits on the counter and is never consumed, it dies and it decays. And it's good for nothing but total waste. You see, its purpose is in the fulfillment of its cause. And what's that? To be consumed, to be used, listen to me, to to give itself for the good of something much larger than itself. Hmm. So... We are wasted when we sit on the counter and we just watch life go by. And we murmur and complain and grumble and grouse about this, that, and everything else. And we wonder why others are being blessed, but God's passing us by. Look, occasionally it might hurt to be broken We all know that feeling. It might hurt to be just poured out. The fulfillment of our cause, remember, is to give ourselves to the good of something much larger than ourselves. What is that thing? It is the plan of God for time and eternity. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 6 Verses 10 through 12 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So every seed, you see, that falls into the ground and is buried rises again to new life. For those who understand the principle of sowing and reaping, it is nothing to serve God even in the things we don't want to do. Rather, it's an honor, it's an opportunity, it's a blessing It's just beyond description to invest in the greater plan of God. Greater, I say, because it's greater than anything man can devise. For those who understand the principle of sowing and reaping, the promise is eternal life. Coming back to Revelation chapter 3 and reading verse 20, very familiar words. Here I am, Jesus said. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. I wonder today, friend, is there something lukewarm about your life that you just don't like? Is it maybe your relationship, your connection with Jesus? Well, And and maybe it's been a while, and I I understand it takes a while sometimes to make that move back. Maybe it's been a while since you've witnessed his power and his grace in your life. I don't know if it's been a while or if it's been ever. Perhaps you've slipped into a, a pattern of mediocrity. Maybe you've accepted this religious norm that so many Christians like to fall into the status quo lifestyle, and as a result, your relationship with him has become boring at best. That's mediocrity. You read your Bible, but you don't live it. You, you've even underlined a lot of the scriptures, but you aren't practicing them. We can't sit here and wonder why we don't see exciting, powerful things happening in our lives and through our lives. Why you live a status quo Christian life and feel lackluster about church, about worship, about the Word of God, doesn't you hear it and you hear it preached and it doesn't even excite you in the least? Because you're neglecting your relationship and your growth? and your closeness to Him. But here's the good news. When you plug into God, He will excite you with His plans, with His purposes, with His power, in your life and through your life, and it all rests in a developing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get there. So first you repent of your mediocrity and then you work more on your relationship with Jesus. Be available to do God's will and invest in His plans. Be available to serve long term. Be dependable. Be steadfast. Be there for the people who aren't yet. And don't let the church suffer because you aren't doing your part. And I close with the words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian Christians in chapter 2 of Philippians, starting at verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, another version says, grumbling, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a crooked and depraved generation or warped generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Paul went on and said, as you hold out the word of life in order that I, your counselor and mentor and leader, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing or in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you. So you too, listen to this, should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you, Paul. Wonderful words. I wonder, friends, can you say, Thank you, Lord for letting me be involved where you are working. I wonder if we can say that together. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. It would be wonderful. Thank you, Lord. I'll say that again. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be involved where you are working. Can we do it one more time? Thank you, Lord, for letting me be involved where you are working. Wonderful. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for attention to your word this morning. I want to ask right now that anyone and everyone who might hear this message would be willing to look inward and say, Lord, please help me to put away all mediocrity. I dedicate myself to developing and using my strength for your honor and glory. I want to excel at what I'm gifted to do. I want to understand not only my strengths, but also my limitations or weaknesses. And I don't want to be a distraction, but I want to be a blessing And know your blessing. I want to be effective for you. In your kingdom. And I thank you for it. In Jesus name. And all God's people said. Amen.